Blog Talk Radio. And now, it's time for Healing from Within with your host, Tony Valen. I'm your host, Tony Valen. You can contact me, Tony, at TonyValen.com or visit our website, HealingFromWithin.net. Follow the show on Twitter, at TVHFW. The show is also available on iTunes and YouTube. Just search Healing From Within with Tony Valen or look for the Tony Valen channel on YouTube. Joining us on today's show is Roberta Grimes. Roberta is a business attorney, novelist, and speaker based out of Austin, Texas. You can learn more about Roberta Grimes by going to RobertaGrimes.com like Roberta-Grimes on Facebook, and follow Roberta underscore Grimes on Twitter. Roberta, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be with you, Tony. Well, thank you. Uh, The first question I always ask my guests, what are your gifts and how did your journey begin? Well, um, my gifts, I guess, are all shaped around what I came here to do, and I didn't even realize until 2015 what that was. My journey began when I was eight years old, and woke up in the middle of the night and was sure there was no God. I was terrified. And in the middle of my bedroom was a flash of white light, and a voice said, you wouldn't know what it is to have me if you didn't know what it is to be without me. I will never leave you again. Mm. Oh, well, when you're eight, everything surprises you, and therefore really nothing surprises you. I just thought it was handy that if you forget there's a God, they'll remind you. And I went back to sleep. But that incident is as familiar and, and recent and present in my mind, 60 years later as it was that night. And it, it started me on a journey to try to understand what was that light? Where did, what was that voice? What was really going on? Because I, suddenly it opened up the world to me as it never had been opened up before. I, I never told anyone what had happened to me. I figured it was normal, right? It happened right. to me. Absolutely. So you learn about it in school or church or something. I even majored in Christianity in college mm-hmm. because I figured when you when you hit the college level, they'll for sure tell you what that was. But if you don't ask a question, you don't ever get an answer. And I never asked a question. So finally, I started researching the afterlife on my own. And that's what started my journey. That's where I am. My gifts, I guess, are just that I love people. I'm trying very hard to help people understand the truth about death and about their own eternal natures, because once you really get that, you lose all fear and your life becomes so much happier. Absolutely. So let me ask you, if someone was to ask you, who is God or what is God, what would your answer be to them? The best definition I have ever seen, I didn't write it, of of what afterlife researchers are finding is that the only thing that exists 
is an energy-like potentiality without size or form, alive in the same way your mind is alive, highly emotional, therefore probably self-aware, and the only emotion it expresses is intense affinity or love. Mm, wonderful. God, God is all that exists. Everything that, that we think is real is, is sort of like a thought within eternal mind, but our own minds are part of that eternal mind. So our own minds are part of God, and we, um, we only think we're in these bodies. We really aren't. This is, this is sort of like, this body is like Jake's blue body in the movie Avatar. It's oh, yes. experiences, but we're safe somewhere else. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think that's wonderful, and that is true. And to me, I feel like we're all God, but God is us. Does that make sense? Yes. But we need to understand that it's God that's really in charge. It's not... Right. Um, someone I know who is a, a very advanced being uh, says God is the unity of infinite pure love. That's what God is. The people in the afterlife are sort of are curiously divided about it. They 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 say God is everywhere, God is all that exists, and so on. But they don't personalize God the way we personalize God on Earth. God is just immensely powerful love, and all the love we all feel contribute to God. Right. Um, I know that you've written multiple books. When I started doing research on you, uh, you you have written quite a number of books, and that's wonderful. But the one we're going to talk about is Liberating Jesus. Can you give us a brief overview of the book? One of the things that we learn when we study the afterlife evidence is that the things that we learned, I've been the most devout Christian you can imagine, but the things that we learn in church, there's no evidence for in, in, the, um, in the actual afterlife evidence. There's no evidence God ever takes a pers personal form. There's no evidence that God ever has judged a single human being or any other religious figure ever has. We're our own afterlife judge, and Jesus actually says that. Um, there's no evidence that you have to be a Christian to get into heaven, but you do have to have followed the teachings of Jesus, whether you ever heard of Jesus or not. So it's just very different from, from what I was taught, and that was troubling to me until uh, I've, I've read the Bible repeatedly over and over, but I, I dared to test Jesus and read the Gospels with the afterlife evidence in mind. And what I found is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus told us things about God, reality, death, the afterlife, and the meaning and purpose of human life that we could not possibly have learned in any other way until at least the 20th century. That's the biggest discovery I can ever imagine making. Right. And I made it about 10 years ago. Wow. And so that's basically what the book's about, uh, everything that you discovered? Yes. Wonderful. Yes. Uh, how did you become interested in investigating the afterlife? I wanted to know what that light was and where it came from. And even back then, it seemed to me that if I figured out where the dead are, I would also find what that, I, it would begin to make sense to me. Now, I don't know why, but I just believed that was the only way I could investigate it without asking questions. And you, I realized nobody seemed to be have any idea what had happened to me, so questions wouldn't help. But it turned out actually that investigating the afterlife helped. What, what that was, um, what, is, it's a rare thing, but it's happened to other people. Um, Moses with his burning bush that is not consumed, he hears the voice out of the bush. Uh, um, Saul, the great persecutor of the earliest Christians, uh, saw a flash of light and heard a voice, and he was converted to the Apostle Paul. Um, that's, that's 
about the only two that I ever had heard of until one day I discovered that my mother had had essentially the same experience as my father was dying. And then, then I told her Then I started talking to people. But I think the light it is the same light that fills the upper afterlife levels. It's a bright white light, much brighter than sunlight. It doesn't hurt your eyes to look at it. That was all true of the spiritual light that I saw. And um, the voice was my spirit guide, clearly. I, I now know him. I didn't know him then, but that's who it was. Wonderful. And you also mentioned that uh, most afterlife investigators are skeptics. Why would you think that they are skeptics? Um, if you're not a skeptic, you're not an investigator. If you're not a skeptic, if you're taking everything at face value, then you're really not being serious about trying to make sure you have the truth. Um, in point of fact, we already know quite a lot. It's like we're assembling this gigantic puzzle, and we already know quite a lot. So the last thing we ever want to do is accept something and try to fit it into the puzzle when we haven't thoroughly made sure it's real, because we're going to build an, an incorrect view of reality, and we don't want to do that. Mm, right. We can be skeptical, sir, but we can't be closed-minded. Just you know, open-minded, but you need to be, I mean, I'm from Missouri. You've got to show me. Right. <laughs> and I agree. I, I love the way you put that, that you, you have to be skeptical, but not closed-minded. I think that's wonderful. Uh, much of what Jesus uh, says in the gospel matches modern afterlife evidence. Can you share with us an example? Oh, there's so many of them. Jesus tells us what God is. Um, God is very different from the Jehovah of the Old Testament. Um, and, but he says God is loving spirit. We must worship in spirit and in truth. It's entirely right. This was radical, by the way, for his day. Um, he tells us um, uh, we, have, we must forgive, and that's a cornerstone. And indeed, that turns out to be true. Um, the, the, the hardest forgiveness task we'll ever have is when we are having our life review and we have to forgive ourselves. So we've got to become very good at forgiving while we're here. He says, that, you know, how many times should I forgive somebody who does the same stupid thing over and over again? Seven times even? Mm -hmm. He says, no, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven or 77 times. Depends on your version of the, of the New Testament. That's right. That means effectively. That was sort of their code word. You might, you know, we say a million times I did this or that. There's seven times was their their word. Simpler time. They had a smaller number that right. meant, meant infinite. <laughs> um, what else? He tells us in, in interesting detail about the process uh, of death. Uh, he says that uh, he's going um, to make, prepare a place for us. Uh, in my father's house are many mansions or rooms or levels. Uh, it's a, it, the afterlife is much bigger than the universe. I think it's seven to ten times as big as the universe. And we have some markers that suggest that might be right. Um, I'm going to prepare a place for you, uh, which is what our dead loved ones do. They, they'll build a house for us or, or in other ways do something to make us have a place where we can go. And then he says, I'll come to be with you so you also may be where I am, which is also what our dead loved ones do. This wasn't just poetic. He was giving them the plan. This is what's about to happen. I'm going to die, and then I'll build you a house, and I'll come back and get you. Uh, that's something that they would not have known anything about, the people, you know, 2,000 years ago. They were Iron Age primitives. They were superstitious. They didn't know any of this stuff. 
Yeah, the other thing I, I wanted to ask you was uh, Jesus tried to help his followers uh, find ways to keep his teachings separate from Judaism. Why did he do that? He didn't come to start a religion. Mm-hmm. I think the evidence is strong that he came to uh, end our dependence on religions, put superstition and tradition behind us and help us to follow a philosophy that will allow us to live in intimate communion with God. That's why he came. That's not how it turned out. And there are reasons why it didn't turn out that way, but that's what he intended. And the evidence is strong in the Gospels that what I'm telling you is true. But he said things like, first he he railed against traditions, religious traditions especially, and he was he was very down on clergymen and all the stuff they did. So, you know, he's really not a fan of religion uh, to begin with. But then he, he started to say things like, nobody puts new wine into old wineskins, because if you do that, the new wine will burst the old wineskin and you'll lose your wine and the skins will be ruined. No, we have to put new wine into new wineskins. But he wasn't talking about wine. He was talking about his teachings, obviously. And he says that in several different places, some variant of that. He, he'll, he'll say to, uh, he said, um, um, he, who, he who takes my teachings, um, and, and he didn't use the word separate. I don't have it in front of me, but it's in Liberating Jesus. Um, and, and takes it into his storehouse, will be able to bring out from his storehouse new treasures as well as old. Again, they're separate treasures. This is a separate thing. Um, I think he came to abolish religion. I think he came to tell us, don't do the, the religious thing. Go into your room, he says, and speak to and the God who hears in secret will reward you when you speak to him in secret. Hmm. He says he, over and over again, he says these things, and, and they just ignored them. Yeah. Um, the thing that caught my eye when I was going through the book, I, I noticed that you kind of include some words that are part of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, can you explain elevating the consciousness? This is a big topic. I don't know. Do we have two hours? There, There is a movement on <laughs> at the highest levels of reality to, to raise the consciousness of humankind. This seems to date back to about the start of the 20th century, but it became an emergency when we used atomic bombs in warfare. And people were born in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. I was born a year after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and I'm among the older people in this group. But we all came in with specific tasks to do to raise the consciousness of the planet. Uh, it's happening fast, by the way. Mm-hmm. I, I, when the fun of dying came out in 2010, I would look around at, and I would give a talk. I would look around at all these confused faces. Right. And they, they'd ask silly questions. People, people knew nothing then. By 2013, just a few years later, Different group, different people, different everything, but they all really had a clue. They were smiling, they were nodding, good questions. It's happening everywhere. Everybody I know who's doing this work has remarked about the same thing, how quickly it's happening. And liberating Jesus is part of that. Because are the, it is, Christianity currently is a first century Jewish sect. Its teachings, its, its dogmas, everything is first century Jewish. We've not ever been allowed to, to advance, even though the core of Christianity should be Jesus. He really is not. 
Um, but I think that uh, he intends now to be, um, to lead a movement. And the beauty of it is that we see it, right? We, we all pray it. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Yeah. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're, we're, we're praying for God to bring this kingdom on earth. That's our job. Yeah. And he gave us the tools in the Gospels. Now it's just our job to follow those teachings. And I'm here to tell you they work amazingly well, and I think I begin to understand why they work. But we, we, we think he talks about uh, loving you know, and, and forgiving as like little platitudes. We, they're optional. They're not optional. That's the reason we're on earth, is to learn those lessons. Mm, definitely. I definitely agree with that. So along with the mentality, do you think that the, the uh, numbers have grown as, as well, the groups of people that are now paying attention have grown? I'm amazed to see how much they've grown. I thought there would be more negativity uh, when people read this book. I've heard from people who are very zealous Christians, and they say they hate the first. The first part of the book is like taking your medicine. It's not, it's not fun. But the second part is glorious. It's, it's um, what Jesus taught and how well it works and just how wonderful the world can be. It won't take many people to change the world. If enough people are, watch, are, are following the teachings closely, we will all raise the consciousness of the planet for a simple reason. Our minds are all connected. And if you're bringing love and light into the mind of God um, from your own efforts, then you're helping that bit, bit more. You know, say the old saying, you can't change the world unless you change yourself. That's really true. That is true. Yes, absolutely. And uh, it, it just, it's amazing to me, but it's exactly what you mentioned just a while, uh, while ago. Uh, people are skeptical, but still they are open-minded, so they're able to listen yeah. for real. More and more people now uh, say that they're they're not religious, but they're spiritual. That's yep. remarkable, and and that's I, I I think of it as as God clearing the field of our hearts for fresh seeding with the truth, um, because uh, you know Paul said. When I was a child, I thought as a child, I spoke, I reasoned as a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish things. Uh, we are meant now to be looking more clearly and more frankly at the words of, at, at the wishes and the needs of the Godhead. We're meant now to be in, we are already as close to God as we could possibly be, but we're not aware of it. The teachings of Jesus help us begin to be aware of who and what we truly are. Mm. Um, I'm going to backtrack to a question that I did want to ask. Can you please explain what the Thomas Jefferson Bible is? Yes. Thomas Jefferson, um, third president of the United States, author of the Declaration of Independence, my guy, I just love him to pieces. He, um, he was a, we think of it probably as a Unitarian. He was someone who was devoted to the Gospels, but he didn't give didn't have much truck with anything else in the Bibles. He, he said the teachings of Jesus stand out in the Bible like diamonds in a dunghill. Now, an 18th century gentleman farmer knew about dunghills, but that, that was his attitude toward the rest of the Bible. And finally, in sort of the latter part of his life, he took a bunch of Bibles and cut them up uh, in English, French, Greek, and Latin, and he pasted them into a copy book. 
um, so that he could read the words of Jesus in four languages side by side. And that was his study Bible. He never, people have said, well, he shouldn't have done that to the Bible. That was his study Bible. He never intended it to be published, but indeed it was published after his death. Mm. That's very interesting. Um, you talk about learning to forgive, uh, that learning to forgive is important. What did Jesus say and explain this? He's, he told us we should love our enemies. You can't love until you have first forgiven. Um, he, he talked over and over uh, about forgiveness. You know, if someone hits your right cheek, turn the left to, to him as well. If he takes your cloak, give him your tunic. Um, just you don't resist an evildoer. All of these things which are anathema to us, I mean, we fight back. He says, don't fight back and, and forgive. Um, forgive and you will be forgiven. Um, if you don't, if the measure you use, it will, will be measured to you. And that really actually turns out to be literally true because you're going to be your own judge. Um, he, he told us a lot of things which we really couldn't understand until we better understood the afterlife. But forgiveness comes first. You can't love with the with unreserved, uh, you know, passion and um, and just just you can't literally love your enemies, everybody equally, which is what we're supposed to do. You can't do that until you've already learned to forgive. He talks a little bit about the process. What we've learned is that the easiest way to forgive, if you've got to forgive everybody is not to do it one, one at a time, but to learn what's called radical forgiveness. And um, then everything, everything is forgiven for now and all time. And you can learn to think that way. And when you do, it's much easier to love. Yeah. And why, and why do you think it's important for us to make our apologies now in the living? Well, here's the thing. Um, people who die and then go through a life review uh, are going to feel terrible about things they did that don't even seem to be a big deal here. Would we judge ourselves pretty harshly? Um, so if there's any little thing that you think someone might hold against you, Jesus says too. You know, if you're if you're offering your your gift in the at the altar and you remember someone uh, has holds something against you, go go apologize, get his forgiveness first, and then come and give your gift to God. But that's as a practical matter, some people will become um, sort of wandering spirits for even decades. Mm. And then they will eventually ask for forgiveness. This happened with my own father, who was an alcoholic when I was a child. He would show up at readings I was having, but he would not speak for 20 years. And then he asked my daughter when she was having a reading with a, with a medium, uh, she said, uh, he said, um, please, Ask your mother and her sister to forgive me for messing up their childhood. So he had grieved over that for 20 years. I didn't wow. know. I should have, when he was dying, I should have said, I just want you to know, I love you and I, there's, I hold nothing against you and I forgive you for everything. And I'm going to do that from now on when I'm at a deathbed because we don't know how things, how things look to people who may have done a little thing and it could be bothering them, especially for children. People who have, have who feel they've wronged children seem especially to have this problem. I've heard of it uh, a number of times. Just being unable to forgive yourself until you till you get the forgiveness of that child. 
Right. Wow. And you never know what events affect people in, yeah, in some you ways. Yeah, you don't know why. Right. That's right. So it's amazing because I've, I've heard it in reverse where sometimes, uh, you know, in a reading or something, someone will come through and they'll say, I just want to thank them for acknowledging me at a certain time when I was at my yes. lowest. So, so it, it's true that the smallest event can be the biggest thing in someone else's life. You never know. So always forgive and ask for forgiveness when someone is wrapping up his life. Don't wait and have to do it through a medium. Yep, I agree. Um, Do you think Jesus believed in reincarnation? Yes, of course. (laughs) He taught it. There's nothing you need to know more about the people who built Christianity than the fact that they felt free to alter the Gospels, Um, especially Nicaea in 325. They were building a religion, and anything that conflicted with it, they were going to get rid of. And they told us that they tried to remove everything about reincarnation from the Bible because they thought if we were, we thought we had more than one life, we would not give it our best shot. But if we think we've got only one, and then it's either heaven or hell, we're going to try harder. So they they didn't get all of it, though. There still are some things that pretty clearly refer to reincarnation, but there was apparently a lot more. Mm. This is Tony Valen, host of Healing from Within. You can contact me, Tony, at TonyValen.com or visit our website, HealingFromWithin.net. Follow the show on Twitter at TVHFW. The show is also available on iTunes and YouTube. Just search Healing from Within with Tony Valen or look for the Tony Valen channel on YouTube. We're talking to our guest, Roberta Grimes. Roberta is a business attorney novelist, and speaker based in Austin, Texas. You can learn more about Roberta Grimes by going to robertagrimes.com, like Roberta-Grimes on Facebook, and follow Roberta underscore Grimes on Twitter. Roberta, um, you talk about spiritual wealth. What is it and why is it important? It's really the only thing that's important. And Jesus talks a lot about it uh, in a number of different ways. He says, don't uh, build up your treasure on earth where um, rust and um, and rot will take it over, but instead build your, your treasure in heaven where none of these things can happen and it's safe and protected. He talks about the need to move forward spiritually. His teachings are the easiest. I'm, I, I mean, I'm proving them in my own life and I'm, I'm seeing other people doing the same. They're the easiest way to to grow spiritually that that's ever been given to us because you don't have to chant, you don't have to meditate or do yoga. You just got to follow those teachings strictly. And I think the reason they work so well, and really in months you'll see a big difference in in your yourself internally. The reason they work is that they're not teaching us anything new. Instead, they're helping us remember who and what we really are and forget all the stuff that isn't us. But that's that's where we that's where we're meant to be. We're meant to be you know, climbing that ladder of spiritual growth. The more loving we are spiritually, the higher is our vibratory rate once we get back to uh, where we're going. And we want it we don't want to have to come back. So we want we'd like to get to the upper part of level five, please, this time around, and then we'll be able not to have to come right. back again. But um, he'll say things that sound kind of cruel until you understand what he's talking about. He says, to him who has will be given more, and he'll have an abundance. But from him who thinks he, who, who doesn't have, even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. And throw that worthless servant out into the darkness where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. 
He's right about that, too. That's the punishment level. It's dark. It's not hot. But that sounds cruel. He little bit he has gets taken away, and the other guy gets more. He's talking about spiritual growth. You can't stay still. If you're growing, you'll get more and more and more. But if you're just not bothering, even the little bit you might have had, you're going to lose it, and it'll slip away, and you'll have to basically relearn it. Mm. Very interesting. Uh, What do you think Jesus intended for us to do? He intends us to put first uh, the kingdom of heaven and achieving it on earth. Uh, That should be first, because any of the things we strive for, um, you know, power, wealth, success, it's dross. It doesn't mean anything. Because you can lose it with your next heartbeat. And you would believe he's right when he says, um, the, the, uh, the blessed are the pure in heart where they will see God, where he says, um, uh, the first will be last and the last first. Our status on earth means nothing in the next level. Um, and that's important to know. So, so you work for what lasts. And the only thing you do get to take with you is the growth you've made here spiritually. That's it. Mm. Therefore, the spiritual wealth is uh, what we're talking about. Yes, yes. Mm. That's exactly right. Oh, If we fear God, we cannot love God as we must love God in order to make spiritual progress. What's meant by this, more specifically? Jesus took the whole of the Old Testament and basically said, throw it away. And I can explain how he did that. Um, and he said, replace it with God's new law, which I give to you, which is God's law, law of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In that consists the whole law and the prophets, which is what, they, what we call the New Testament. That's what the, the Jews of the first century called the New Testament books. So um, with, what Jesus is saying is, Just focusing on the first law is loving God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Now, fear is the opposite of love. You cannot love properly what you fear. It's not hatred. It's fear. And the problem with Christianity, I think the core problem with it, is that it's a fear-drenched religion. We are taught to fear God. God God-fearing is actually a compliment in Christian circles, and uh, and we do fear God, and therefore we're not loving God. And you cannot even see your fellow man as you need to see him, and you certainly can't love him if you haven't first loved God. So getting free of fear is, is the start of your spiritual growth, really. Um, I, I've been married uh, for many years to a Catholic, and I always I converted. I was the biggest Catholic in the world for a time. Until I decided I couldn't be anymore, but I still went to church with him. The problem was that over the altar, of course, there was the life-size, full-color, bleeding Jesus on a cross. And much as you don't try to look at it, you really can't look away. And this is true of many, many uh, Catholic churches. And it, I realized one day that it was making me fearful, because what kind of a barbaric God would want that to be done to his own child? It. it I tried not to do it, but I couldn't. I found that I could not love God as I needed to love God while I still went to church, so I I stopped. Yeah. I have to tell you that also, I was also raised Catholic, uh, being from Texas myself. Um, Welcome! 
I'm so glad. <laughs> You're from Texas. Yeah. You're back. I'm actually from a small uh, little town, Marfa, which is actually the new Austin, allegedly. <laughs> I've heard of it, yeah. You have heard of it. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, and, you know, and even as a child, I always felt in, uh, that it was wrong to fear God. But I and I also felt as I as I was growing that the fear was more of a control thing than it was more about God. Because well, it is because you see, if you a religion is a business, we know that. Yeah. Um, it may have very high um, aspirations, but it's a business. So, um, in order to run a business, you got to get people in the pews, given money. You got to do what you can to get them to feel devoted. And the easiest way to do that is to make them scared. There is a rumor that a very famous Hollywood guy who lived a rather loose life, when he was on his deathbed, gave $10 million to the Catholic Church because he wanted to make sure his elevator went up and not down. And that is typical of what the Catholic Church has done, and actually all of Christianity has done through the ages, to teach us that we are basically... Not, we're sinful. We're we're not lovable. God can't really love us as we are. I mean, Adam's sin, Eve's sin, all our sins and everything we do, every thought we is more or less sinful. So we're kind of despicable. That's what many religions teach us. But all we have to do is claim the death of Jesus on the cross as our ultimate sacrifice to atone for all the sins we committed and Adam committed. And we get to go right to the front of heaven's line. So it's like a carrot and a stick. The stick is you're going to hell because you're so despicable. But the carrot is if, you, if you're in the pews every Sunday, if you accept Jesus as your personal savior, you're fine. And then you have to look up at that, the guy on the cross. And God, and God wanted that done to him to make him feel better about forgiving us. It just it's, it creeped me out so much, when I, especially when I came to understand that it wasn't even true. Mm, yeah, uh, I agree with that. Uh, another thing that I, that I saw in the book, uh, it was something that said, Lord, have the power to transform the world. Can you elaborate on that? Together, we, we are extremely powerful. Our minds are more powerful than we can imagine. Even when we, shortly after we die, we, re, we rejoin the most of our mind that we left behind, and we, we feel powerful even then. But even here, we're quite powerful. And if, if really even 10 or 15% of the people in the world were, were strictly following the teachings of Jesus or a comparable uh, regimen that would teach them perfect love and forgiveness, everything would change. You know, people say to me sometimes, several people have said, what about ISIS? You can't do anything. Oh, yes, you can. But the only way to change the world is to change yourself. And once enough of us have done that, ISIS will be in our arms. We'll be loving all people, and they will be loving us. Because our changing our minds raises the whole consciousness of humankind. Mm, absolutely. Um do you think that we all have spirit guides? And if we do, how can we come to know them better? Well, I didn't even want to know my spirit guides. I felt <laughs> well-guided. I mean, I, I knew they existed. Yeah. And I would wake up in the morning. That's the easiest way to work with your guides. I mean, our, our mind's astral travel when our bodies are sleeping. 
and they meet in the astral plane usually, or sometimes just in the bedroom with our guides. We all have a primary guide who has signed up before we were born, is with us through life, is helping us hit the marks in our lesson plan. And um, he will call in or she will call in other guides. My friend Suzanne Wilson, the group was a glorious medium, says we get extra guides for a season or a reason. Right now I have 11 guides. I'm kind of hard to manage. But <laughs> they they all are there to help us with specific tasks or, or whatever we need. Our, with the guidance available to us is extraordinary. I didn't want to know these people myself. I really didn't. But I had signed up before I was born to write a book that my primary guide had written in his next to last lifetime and then not published. And he went, I had signed up to, to write his book for the modern age. But I'm sure that I did all the, pre, the, the things I had to do ahead of time. I, I wrote The Fun of Dying. I wrote The Fun of Staying in Touch. I, I've done all of this. I thought I was going to be an afterlife teacher. And that was a great thing. People need to know about this stuff. But apparently what I really signed up to do was write Liberating Jesus. And when the time came to do that and he proposed it to me in one of those, you know, astral meetings, I said, no way, Jose, am I ready to right. about <laughs> Jesus? No way, no way. Mm. And I wasn't doing it. So he put into my mind that I would, would want to talk to my mother. My mother died, had died a couple of years earlier. Yeah, it was time to hook up with her. I knew she was fine. I'd had great signs from her. So I arranged for sitting with a medium and, um, again, Suzanne Wilson. And toward the end of, of our, my meeting with my family, uh, she said, oh, your spirit guides are all here. They want to talk to you. And that was when I met them. I met all 11. And the last one who stepped forward was my primary guide. And he said, you may call me Thomas. And I said immediately, Thomas Jefferson. Uh -huh. he, was, he said yes. So I, that, was, that explained a lot of things to me about my attitude toward Thomas Jefferson. He's been there all my life. He said we've had 17 lifetimes together in various ways. Um, that was, by the way, not protocol. They're not supposed to break into our day, daytime life. It's just that I was not doing what I had promised to do, and darn it, he was going to make sure I did it, and he did. But um, if you want to talk to your to your guides there and get to know them, I, and I recommend it now. I feel stupid that I live most of my life without knowing these wonderful friends. But there are there are mediums who specialize in helping us get into contact with our guides. Now I have regular sessions with Thomas to talk about various things, and you know, in the book and how and what what we're doing to help it and so on. Um, but. I recommend that you contact someone like, like Suzanne Wilson, who is very good at helping you meet your guides. And you may find once you've met them that that's fine. They can keep working behind the scenes. Or you might find, as I have, that um, Thomas and I are very tight. We do go back a long time. And he, uh, he needs to sort of support me in what I'm doing now. And so he does. He stays very close. Yeah, so, so do you think that when we talk to our guides or our main guide, um, and they do have a specific thing that we have to do, uh, do you think they kind of, and for lack of a better word, do you think they bully us into it? Well, I know I was bullied into it. Okay. I, I don't know if my, if my experience is universal. Um, 
Our, their job is to see that we hit the marks in the plan that we themselves have made. I had agreed to all of this before I was born. Nobody has given a plan and said, here, live this stupid plan. Right. <laughs> and, you know, too bad for you. We all participate closely in making our plans, and ultimately the decisions are ours. So all he was doing was holding me to what I wanted to do. And if he had not done that, I would have, you know, graduated and been very sad that I had missed doing the main thing I came here to do. Absolutely. And and I was asking you this because uh, it's funny that you mentioned your experience with that because I feel the same thing with certain things that I, I think I'd like to do that. But then somehow or the other, some of those things that I'd like to do are things I'm meant to do. And I kind of feel like my guys are, are bullying me into it. So I, I do it. Yeah. Um, don't. It's better to think of it as there being these wonderful helpers who are yeah. loyally helping us to, to hit the marks that we ourselves set there. This was all, well, everything that they're sort of a little bit nagging you about, everything, yeah. it's all stuff you, you wanted to do. You wanted it to be in your lesson plan. And, and they're helping you do it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good thing. I know it is because in the long run, you end up feeling better and doing better. Through your book, what do you think Jesus was the main thing that Jesus wanted us to know? He wants us to throw away the rest of the Bible and follow his teaching. He literally wants us to. He, he, he says in the book, and part of it was channeled by him, that... that um, he, he tells us in the Gospels, it's a little bit obscure, but when you see it pointed out, you understand it. Remember, when he was walking the earth teaching, uh, to talk against the prevailing religion was a, an immediate death sentence. And he was trying to stay alive long enough to teach the important stuff. So he was sneaky about it. He, he used parables, and then he would say, wink, wink, you know, he, he who has ears, let him hear. And, um, and he would teach over days some great truth, because the temple guards would change, but his followers would be following him day after day. So one day, someone said to him, teacher, uh, aren't you just trying to get rid of the law and the prophets? That's what the Jews of the first century called the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. He said, I didn't come to get rid of the law and the prophets, because remember, he's got people listening who right. have power to arrest him. I came to fulfill them. Oh, okay, but that's a sort of a benign word. If you're fulfilling, that's good. So they didn't arrest him that day. Then another day, um, probably within days after he said that, someone else said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Now, if you know the Ten Commandments, you know what he came up with. It's not one of the Ten Commandments at all. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And, you sh and that's the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You'll hear that in every church. What you don't hear is what he said next, which is the, the most important part of that whole sentence. He says, in that consists all the law and the prophets. So I've just taken the whole law and the prophets. I've fulfilled them, and I've just told you, throw them away and replace them with God's law of love. Love God infinitely, love your neighbor. That's it. And in other places, there's one other place too where he says, um, do unto others as if as you would have them do unto you, and that consists all the law and the prophets. 
he was trying to get us. The last thing he wanted was for us to package up, you know, two, several thousand years of, of miscellaneous Jewish writings uh, with his teachings and have people think they're equal. They're not equal, and they shouldn't be there at all. And as far as the New Testament past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are concerned, the New Testament was Paul's wonderful attempt to package the teachings of Jesus in a religion so they would be preserved for us today. Mm. And what we've been doing for 2,000 years is playing with the pretty wrapping of that religion. I mean, that's really what it is, all the dogmas, all this, all of that. We aren't, nobody is sitting down and saying, wait a minute, Jesus spoke? He spoke? We probably should take seriously what he said. Yeah. Instead, we, I mean, think about it. If he came as just our sacrifice, he wouldn't have had to say a blessed word, except here I am, you know, show me the cross. That's right, it. Right. <laughs> but, he, but he spent three and a half years really, really teaching us with great tale things that we can only validate today. So for, for, for people nowadays to call the whole thing equal just dilutes the value of the most important gift that God ever has given to us, ever, and that is the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels. He would have us today take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, remove some of what's in it, because some of what's in it he clearly didn't say. You can tell it just sticks out. It's the, it's the done part, not the diamond part, as Thomas Jefferson would say. Um, but, but, but a cleansed set of Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's all we need. If we follow that, we are doing the most we possibly can do to transform our own lives and also to transform the world. Wonderful. For the listeners that are listening to the show right now, can you please tell our listeners where they can get uh, all your books, where all your books are available? Well, obviously, everything is available on uh, Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Um, in addition, um, Liberating Jesus has been bought by many uh, of the chains. So you should be able to find it in, um, you know, Barnes & Noble, Costco, Target, Walmart, uh, Books A Million, uh, Hudson Bookstores in the, in the, uh, in the airports. If, it, if you don't see it, ask for it because it, they should be able to get it from, for, for the bookstores. I mean, we were surprised to find that so many bookstores wanted to have it in stock, but they do. Wonderful. So what's next for Roberta Grimes? Well, my next book um, is going to be a follow-up on the trilogy, of the fun trilogy. I, I, when, when I was getting ready, I mean, I had found a publisher. We were getting ready. We needed to have a title for The Fun of Dying back in 2010. And I wanted to call it, like, Dying for Idiots or something, no. you know, something, <laughs> something cheeky and, and disarming. But that would have been a stupid title. I realized now. I woke up one morning, and, you know, we do consult with our guides while, while our bodies sleep. I woke up, and I had in my mind, the fun of dying, the fun of staying in touch, the fun of growing forever. And I thought, oh, that's great. Fun of dying is great. I didn't know what the other two books would be about. But in good time, I found myself writing the fun of staying in touch. I still didn't know. I thought the fun of growing forever was going to be about what it's, you know, more details about what it's like in the afterlife level, because right. we know pretty precisely what's there. But instead, the fun of the fun of growing forever, which will be out about a year from now, is going to be about how 
to, to literally live your life so that you can have, have the best possible afterlife, how to grow as much as possible here while you're still happy. I mean, the, the, great, the greatest thing about these teachings is they make you happy now and they work later. So what, that's like sliced bread. What's wrong with that? Um, they, there are tricks. There are ways to, to, to use, to follow those teachings in a 21st century regular life uh, that can work wonders for you spiritually. And that's what the book will be about. Oh, wonderful. Well, Roberta, we really want to thank you for giving us of your time uh, to talk about your book, Liberating Jesus. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. I've enjoyed it talking with you very much. Our thanks to Roberta Grimes. Roberta is a business attorney, novelist, and speaker based out of Austin, Texas. You can learn more about Roberta Grimes by going to robertagrimes.com like Roberta-Grimes on Facebook, and follow Roberta underscore Grimes on Twitter. You are listening to Healing from Within with Tony Balin here on Block Talk Radio, airing Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Central. Visit our website, healingfromwithin.net. Contact me directly, Tony at TonyValen.com. Please follow the show on Twitter at TVHFW. The show is also available on iTunes and YouTube. Just search Healing from Within with Tony Valen or look for the Tony Valen channel on YouTube. Thank you so much and love and light from all of us here at Healing From Within.